And we are back for another edition of the Daily Dots. As always, well, not always, usually. Joined by uh, the Brain Trust, my right-hand man here, Mr. Chase Taylor. Um, <clears throat> another day, I, not a lot came out today. Um, I, not a lot really from the indexes either. NASDAQ up 0.48%, 61 points. Uh, Dow, I don't even know who mentioned the Dow, but anyway, up 0.38%. Uh, S&P up 065 but still closing below that 4,200 level. Um, I don't know, Chase, not, not a lot going on today. You and I were just sitting there talking about what a weird day it was. Um, I think that you could be dangerous drawing any conclusions from that. Uh, but I, I do think it's weird in the sense that I, it increasingly feels to me like that you've got a bifurcated market that you have a market that people are looking at things the way that you and I are. And then you have, Oh, the astronomy, strong economy, nominal GDP. It's, Oh, it's just amazing. It's a buying opportunity. I feel like those, I just, I, I just feel like you have those, it's like a tug of war between those two, those two mindsets. Yeah. I think we could sell nominal GDP t-shirts and make a lot of money right now. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think the, what I found most interesting today was the, the 30 year bond yield was actually, 10 basis points off the high at the end of the, at the end today. And, and real estate, the real estate sector was up 2%. It was like, it was like no one told some of the kind of bond proxy sectors that yields actually were well off the lows today and looking to possibly even break out tomorrow. So that that's definitely something to keep an eye on tomorrow is the fact that long end yields look like they might want to come out and play one more time. I, I look. I could. I, I, I even hesitate to say this because I feel like this is the kind of statement you make right before you end up with egg on your face in markets. But um, it just continually feels to me like distribution. It just continually feels like to me that the things that so, maybe still have some bullish momentum to them, or what it just it it just feels to me feels to me like retail's holding the bag. Uh, I. I just just because the economic outlook looks pretty clear, um, there's still other things to drop. I'm like, you know, I'm not sitting there saying it's a it's a done game. It, it just feels stupider and stupider on a day to day basis. It just it, like like you said, real estate running. I yeah, I, I don't know. I, more nonsensical, if you will. It, it actually, I, I feel like today is one of the first days where I was, and again, I. The fact that I'm going to say this pretty much guarantees it won't happen. It, it it's just starting to really unnerve me. It just feels like a market that could just open up and and have have a really nasty week or two at any moment. Um, yeah, I think if the long end rates come out and play as as I just mentioned, that I, I think that would probably be what what would get you to a very uncomfortable spot for equities all of a sudden. The other thing too is the way that it seems to grab on to even the even the most nonsensical quote on quote unquote bullish or positive economic news and just completely ignores everything else. You, you, we had some uh, interesting data that came out either today or last couple of days regarding services. Why don't, why don't you run us through some of that? Yeah, this is something I've been watching closely that I feel like people are sleeping on. It's something I used to not pay a lot of attention to. And, and that's just kind of the services PMI data. Um, and the Dallas Fed put theirs out this morning. Um, their and their manufacturing was weak, um, and then the, their services and their retail indexes came out today, and they were 
they were pretty bad. Um, and the commentary inside of them was bad. Uh, I mean, it literally said pessimism notably increased um, in the last month. So uh, pretty much every aspect of that index fell a good bit, whether it's revenues, you know, employment, like uh, you name it, it, it really weakened substantially. Um, and with, you know, two thirds of the economy being services, uh, you would think that would be like kind of the tail that wagged the dog in the economy, but it's always been manufacturing because that's where the job losses kind of, kind of start at. But I don't know. It, it's, it's at least worth watching moving forward to, Hey, like if services can get weak enough, then there's, I don't see any reason just because it doesn't normally work this way that services can't be the thing that kind of pulls everything else down instead of, you know, vice versa. Cause ever since world war two, we've always just, you know, sat back and waited for manufacturing to tell us what's going on. But, at some point, I think we can all agree, you know, services will be the thing that does it. It's just when will it take, take that baton? And I'm not saying it will right now, but I am saying that it is interesting that, you know, all these kind of services indicators are starting to at least flash yellow lights um, at the moment. So something to keep an eye on. Yeah. <clears throat> saw Pinterest was up 19% today. <laughs> I did not see that. And this is what I'm talking about, man. I just, I hate to say, yeah, you, you would think the pain would be great enough to, to, I mean, to be fair, like earnings are, they're, they're having a great quarter, um, way, way better than, than estimates. And they always, they're always better than estimates, but it's kind of surprising me. Like every, every time we add a few companies earnings, like it just gets better, but at the same time, analysts have downgraded, um, their estimates moving forward seven weeks in a row now, um, under 30% of S&P companies are guiding higher. And that was like 60% in 2021. And and it's even lower now than it was in 2022 when, you know, stocks got whacked. So, so the companies themselves and the analysts that cover them are all kind of getting more pessimistic on the future. So maybe it's kind of like GDP where, yeah, we're having a pretty solid earnings quarter, which looks like it can be positive, even though we were expecting negative. Um, Moderate. But maybe that was, but that, yeah, like we're expecting negative one percent. We're pushing positive two point eight right now, um, but maybe one of those things where like we just pulled a lot into the third quarter, um, and now all of a sudden we're trying to figure out where it comes from in the fourth and, and moving forward. But we'll see. Well, I mean, I will say this: if you compare that number to revenue beats numbers, that's what it looks like. Yeah, it's, it, exactly. And and revenue beats th- those are pulling under fifty percent. So, um, which is a considerable drop. Yeah. I, and and I, I look like and and I just and, to forty eight something like that quarter and, over quarter. And again, I'll make another one of those statements. I don't buy that at all. This is not an this is not an environment where writ large, maybe you got a couple companies here and there. This is not an environment where margins are improving. This just reeks of window dressing and the last temper, the last desperate gas to try to gasp to try to make an earnings print look good. Uh, especially when you see revenues number like that, you look at cost of labor. You know, when I see revenues like that and then earnings coming in positive in this kind of environment, it just reeks of window dressing. And again, I, it's not like there's, I, I don't think there, you know, well, I just want to reiterate, you know, I think thinking that the stocks are way overpriced for the current environment is not saying that the bottom's about ready to open up and here comes another Great Depression, right? That's not at all what I'm saying. Um, I just, I, I think, first of all, and I think this will be part of something that we keep an eye on over the next year or two. And it really, truthfully, isn't even that helpful talking about analyzing markets as of today. I think that there is more nonsense in earnings numbers than there has ever been. 
I think that you're going to see when this tide goes out, I think that there are going to be lawsuits about the way companies have been reporting earnings. Um, I think you're going to see massive earnings misses when this thing finally starts to, you know, when they run out of, when they run out of runway, as far as being able to, you know, paint, you know, dress the windows and make things look better than they are. Um, I don't know. And I could be wrong. I just, when I look at the gap between, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, tax receipts from the federal government via earnings reported by the individual companies, when I look what's happening with margins, labor costs, input costs across, I just, I, I just don't, you know, I just, I don't, I don't buy it. And, and a lot of the earnings reports that we've dug into, you know, we certainly haven't dug into all of them, <laughs> um, but a lot of the ones we're looking at, it's just backing that up, you know, where you just see a lot of liquidation of inventories that are giving them a short-term pop over the course of the quarter. Um, I don't know. I just find this market really frustrating because I feel like, or it just, it, it's, it, I, well, in my opinion, I, if you haven't figured it out already, I think you're probably in the process of learning it that if, if, if you're still a subscriber to the efficient market theory, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you, except you're worshiping at the wrong church. Um, and I, I don't think I, I have in my career have never seen a market that's less forward looking than this one. I, I, I don't, I don't even know which direction it's looking. Uh, and we've talked about that where like, you get like one little data print and the market goes running, running one direction or the other. Cause it, it, which like I've said, makes it clear to me, the market doesn't know what's coming next. So, right. right. so how, how is it going to price something in? Well, I mean, other than the tech's going to go up, right? I mean, that's the only thing that you could, that's a given. Well, we'll tell that to Apple share price lately or even NVIDIA or yeah. pick a name. Honestly. Yeah. It was pretty interesting too. Tesla was getting beat up pretty good and then managed to rally back into the green. I just looked at it after hours. It was selling off and after hours right below that 200 level again. Yeah, and what every index and every like kind of uh, mega cap tech company, at least the way I track it, is essentially below support. Uh, Microsoft might be kind of a, I would say Microsoft at the moment is a bit of a an exception to that. Like it's kind of like on the, can go either way to me, but the rest of it, at least for now are under what I what I deem as support on the chart. Well, and then, like I said, I think the other important thing to look at is. I, the fundamentals back that up. I mean, you know, Apple's big unveiling last night was we're going to deliver a MacBook in black. Yeah. Can we, you imagine Steve Jobs being like, oh, yeah, one more thing. You can get it in black, right? <laughs> I mean, what a joke. Yeah, we we were joking in the office that we should have a, a town hall for our clients to talk about the uh, the new floating rate, you know, short-term cash ETF that we're holding. It's pretty much the equivalent. It's going to be spectacular. Yeah. Tune in. Um, now, one thing that did happen today, and I hate it when this happens because it happens all the time. Stan Druckenmiller has clearly been listening to Know Your Risk Radio. He's he's poaching off our ideas again. Um, I didn't read the article. I'm assuming you did. So I, I watched the interview with him. It, uh, it was little chat with him and Paul Tudor Jones at um, Robin Hood yesterday. And I watched it. For whatever reason, the article came out today. So I guess they, they waited a day to watch it and then decided to write an article about it. But he, um, he's kind of had a steepener on, I think he said since July. And he's like really low to the boat on being long the two year of late. He, he's still short um, the long end at the moment because he's just worried about the issuance side. 
but he, he seems like he has as much conviction, if not more in the two year going down. Cause he kind of thinks in the, in the last, I want to say he said six weeks, but don't quote me on that. Um, is when he started to notice the, the economy softening and some stuff becoming a problem. And now, now that I think back, Druck is such a guy that follows internals of the market. My assumption is he doesn't mean economic data or or even you know anecdotal data or soft data or none of it. I think he means the fact that cyclicals versus defensives broke down because that's what he watches. Well, we've been watching that for the last six months, six weeks yeah, too. And, exactly. And there was a notable – What wasn't that about six to eight weeks ago when that kind of took a turn? Yeah, it, it had been a week before that, at least the one I constructed, but um, but it really snapped – you know, a month ago, something like that. So I, I, now I, it's funny that here we are on the show and I'm just connecting the dots that, that he, that I think that's what he means when he says he sees the economy softening. And this is one of the, I've never really heard, maybe I have, I just don't remember it. I, I don't think I've really heard anybody talk about this, but this is something that I've experienced many times, especially on macro trades, right? Like I remember us talking about this, Similar type of thing in January of 2020 when we were waiting for the world to wake up to what the problem that we – and granted, we didn't – we really didn't have our hands around what magnitude a problem it was. We were just sitting there looking at the board going, whoa, okay, S&P's rallied 13% in the first 30 days of the year. Um, meanwhile, the manufacturing floor for the entire global economy is shut down. Like this this is this is crazy, right? Um, but one of the things I've learned in trades like this is that – just because the market disagrees with you for a period of time does not mean you're wrong. It, it, it one of the things you've got to remember. Michael, Michael Burry was wrong for two years. I mean, yeah, well, and you're and you and you've been great at calming me down over the last couple of months with this thing. But even when you've got it pegged, you have to wait until the market starts realizing it, right? If you're early, if it and 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 if you're like me, you usually are early, and that shouldn't dissuade you. You know, you need to manage your risks so you can hang in the trade. But what I was telling you earlier today, and I feel like this has been a big transition. I feel like the market has traded decidedly different over the last two to three weeks. And I felt like it coincided perfectly with weaker economic data starting to come out. It feels like the market is starting to realize that this isn't going to be this nirvana soft landing touch and go up to new bull market highs. It just it feels like that there is a portion of this market starting to absorb or realize that it's not just smooth sailing ahead. Yeah, I think that might be the case, um, and it may just be the fact that maybe people finally figured out like soft landing just means hard landing after after some time passes. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd remember. I was listening but, but to somebody. To me, like I, data hasn't even really turned yet. I think a lot of soft data has gone from bad to worse, but hard data, you know, still hasn't even broken. Well, okay, but here, but here's the other thing too, right? If you're waiting for hard data to break to make a move, yeah, I agree have, on the have on fun with the that move part, right? Yeah. Now, I will say this: I do think this. I do think that this could this market could string us out longer than ever because I do feel that this is the dumbest, blindest market I've ever navigated as far as it, it, it and, we, and we could go back anecdotally over the last eight years and just lay out how this market just got clobbered by something that seemed so obvious and that it's just not paying attention to. 
you know, the first one that comes to mind is that story about, you know, I mean, think about how crazy that is. The market was limit up essentially the month of January, 2020, when the, when the manufacturing floor for the entire global economy had been shut down. I mean, I, I, I just, I never thought I would see things like this. The old market's forward looking and you're like, oh, really? That's right. Why, that's why I saw that coming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, um. Uh, COVID, COVID becoming like a real problem was kind of obvious for at least two weeks, if not a full month before the market really cared at all. It's just like, I mean, we could even talk about right now, like oil goes down every day. Um, and I, I've even on the show said like in geopolitical stuff like this, you're better off fading the first order effects, which would be oil going up, which, hey, if you listen to me, that kind of worked. But on the flip side, like now I think we're so weak that we're paying absolutely zero respect to any risk when there clearly is risk like the middle east is a tinderbox you're like one wrong move from oil going to 120 and yet there's in my estimation and virtually no risk premium in it so just like the market couldn't care less about covid because it you know wasn't in new york city yet i it feels the same with something like oil today no it, it yeah no it really does and that's why i was saying uh, uh yeah it's just well, and that's why I sympathize with Druck, meaning that's our biggest position on our books is two years. Um, just because, again, I, I, I'll continue to say this. I think that a whole boatload of investors 18 months from now are going to look back and go, you know what? I'd have been better off just loading up on two-year treasuries, right? And I, I don't know how much they'll say that. <laughs> I don't know. And, and I think that it's even possible to a certain degree that I might feel that way, you know, like – you know, I mean, we're obviously not in a position to get hurt too bad because, you know, we're, we're looking out for these things. But I just think in an environment like this, a guaranteed 5% uh, with no risk, I, I just think that's a lot more attractive than than the market would have you believe. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what else do we see? Anything else that, of note? Um, so the employment costs index, which is kind of the Fed's favorite kind of gauge uh, for wages came in a little warmer than expected, but still falling year over year. Um, nothing that I think was alarming, but I think that's why the the two year was up like one or two bips today. Um, conference board came out with their like consumer sentiment and all the other things that the conference board does. Everything they had fell month over month. So the consumer, you know, still not really loving life here. And then we're at like a mul very much a multi-month low. Um, Interest as a percent of disposable income is something I've talked about on the show. We got that data out again. We went from 2.48% all the way up to 2.65% just month over month. And to me, that's important. You go back to just, just March, so six months ago, and that was we were below pre-pandemic in March, and now we're 50 basis points above right when we went into the pandemic. So this thing is moving very fast. So so interest costs hitting the average consumer is something that all of a sudden, you know, is starting to become a thing. We're at we're at I think it's February of 2008 levels now for interest as a percent of income. Um and then just real quick on on the the yield curve. The 210 yield curve that thing was in, has been inverted for 16 months, which just happens to be the average before you go into recession. Not saying that means we're going to one now because averages are kind of worthless when, when it comes to these things. But fun fact anyway, um, and that, that I say average for recessions, but 23 months was how long it took before the GFC. So showing like you can have that really long lag. And I 
still wouldn't be surprised if it took 23 months this time, but we're rapidly uninverting in twos tens. And that what's, which that was what Druck was talking about. And even though he was, you know, he's long all these twos, his conviction wasn't that the two year yield was going to drop like a stone. His conviction was that we were going to uninvert his, you know, like, Hey, we're not going to stay inverted for three or four years. Like no. you can't. Yeah. So looking back on it, I mean, that, that was, that was definitely a slam dunk trade and, and a very simple one and a very smart one, which not surprising coming from the best trader in history, but, um, but that's something that to me is notable. What did he do? Was it, was it just a Paris trade? Did he just short the long bond and go long the two? Exactly. Yep. That simple. Yeah, that would have been a nice way to capture it. Yeah, tougher to do for us than for not, us, not be yeah. able to grab onto the futures, but um, but still, I mean. But I but but at the same time, I mean, I think the ethos behind the trade. I don't think people need to get too complicated. Which I, he doesn't. Yeah. No, I think the ethos behind the trade. I, you know, I think it can be expressed just owning a bunch of two-year treasuries. It's just a good bet here, right? I mean, if rates drop precipitously, you can get a little bit of a capital gain on your on your money while you collect your risk-free five five point one percent or whatever it is on a risk-adjusted basis. It just looks really attractive, um, especially when you're still looking at a market in this context that's trading at twenty-three, twenty-four x earnings. I, I it's still exactly. it still continues. Which he, which he went out of his way to talk about like. It, it makes, you know, we kind of normally trade at 15. Now we're trading at 20. Like, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, yeah, because you can't just use the 0% interest rate argument anymore. Exactly. Right. It's a lot, lot different scenario. Um, anything else that you saw of note? I'm trying to think right now. I, I Nothing else. I, I, I continue to caution people about real estate news coming out. You're going to keep seeing ebullient and bullish. Oh, house prices are up. Guys, just we, we, look. Go look at houses in your neighborhood. Go look at Zillow. Go look at it. I think that people really don't have an understanding. Again, I, you know, I'll repeat what I've said. We don't think it's about ready. It's not 0809. It's not going to open up and be a big black hole. But I, I just don't think people, and I certainly know that journalists that are reporting this aren't thinking about it. The mix of the average home selling right now is so different than it is normally. Okay. And that is really skewing the data. I am not saying that homes are about ready to plummet. I'm not saying they're about ready to fall into a black hole. But when you look at the numbers that are being reported, it's going to give a very distorted version of what's happening out there. And I think Chase put it, I think you put it pretty aptly uh, earlier today when we were discussing this, that homes that are selling are very non-traditional types of scenarios, you know, much higher levels of cash being brought to the table, if not all cash purchases, and for very specific reasons, and at half the volume of normal. So way bigger percentages of the homes that are selling are north of 750 to 800,000 than is normal. Okay, way less homes under that level are selling that are normal. And there's so many aberrations that I just like I said, I, I, the other thing is you've got weird repeating data. You've got weird reporting data going on by a lot of these sites that really don't show. Have you looked at that? I, I, I thought it was conspiracy talk until I went and looked at Zillow and, and Redfin and stuff. They basically took out the peak of real estate prices that happened from 2021 through 2022 and just kind of flattened it off. So it looks like you're right there at the high, but but you can go back and look at individual homes and all over the country and see that spike that happened over right. that time. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're right at the top. And you're like, you guys doctored the data. 
Um, and I'm, it's not conspiratory, right? They've got an incentive to make things look sure, good on sure. their home. That's how they make money. It's not a conspiracy. Um, I just think that I continue to be amazed at how often I have to answer the question is now a good time to buy a home. Okay. It's never been worse. Full stop. Yeah. If you, I mean, especially if you have to get a bunch of financing. Yeah. It's just never been worse. I mean, that's just a pretty well, speaking easy of, way to answer. Speaking of financing, that was something kind of I noted this week was, uh, the the mention mentions of financing costs and earnings calls is, has all of a sudden just started to skyrocket. Even last quarter, people weren't talking about it, and all of a sudden, it's become a thing. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand how this stuff can be so short sighted. But again, it's something that I know both you and I have learned, and I think anybody that's invested for a long period of time has to learn. Which is, look, you can always be wrong. But if you're waiting for the official media and the official data to come out and tell you it's a recession, you've missed the party, right? I mean, just they are always going to be way late. I do have some breaking news to report, and that is that, and shocking news, that WeWork is going to file for bankruptcy. No yeah, way. It's too bad. Unbelievable. You know, I, I would, you know, we should probably start a banco pool in the office, <laughs> you know, start a bet on the next companies to go, right? Because how many, I mean, we, I would think we're going to see a pretty elevated or significant historical amount of bankruptcies and insolvencies next year. Yeah, I think I think next year could track pretty pretty high. Um, we're, we're still, I want to say, pretty. I mean, fairly low this year. There's there's been some pretty big ones, but but numbers wise, not not huge this year. But next year, when everyone, you know, there's like double the amount of maturities in 24 than there was in 23. So that alone, I mean. That's your catalyst. So I, I do think it's possible to have a lot unless, you know, if things get bad enough for the Fed slashes rates next year. I feel like I want to kind of edit that, that song. You know, I, I feel the, I want to know, what is it? I can hear the leg reaper coming, coming around the bend. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I just, yeah, I just, it seems very clear cut at this point. Uh, anyway, anything else? We good? That's it uh, for tomorrow. We'll have ISM and S and P PMIs coming out tomorrow. Job openings and of course the Fed. Yeah. So get along, Ark and Tesla. Let's we'll see what Jay has to say tomorrow. Good old Jay Powell. All right, you guys. Thank you for listening for another edition. As always, another edition of the Daily Dots. Continue on this journey with us as we recap all the pertinent financial and economic data throughout the day. And uh, yeah, glad to have you guys taking this journey with us. We watch this baby unfold over time. Should be should be educational at the very least. And, um, you know, I don't know, hopefully entertaining at some point or at least opportunistic. Um, but anyway, until tomorrow, have a great evening. Happy Halloween. Hope those kids go out there and fill up those candy. Be- it, the, it's also the return. Has, has your daughter trick-or-treated before? This is going to be uh, her first time tonight. So you're going to, this is your first run through the dad tax. It is. And that's not going to be good for my waistline, but yeah. Well, yeah, I know, I know, but it's good for justice. Meaning, yeah. it's like it's like discipline. It's not fun, but you got to do it for the love of the child. The bad thing is, we like the same candy. So, well, again, you got to do it for the love of the child, man. <laughs> you got to teach her about taxes. So, honey, this is how the government works. You went door to door, right? Got all this candy for yourself. Yeah, now you owe me half. Exactly. Yep, that's taxes, sweetheart. We might have to go like FDR, you know, ninety percent effect tax rates. So. Well, I mean, there is a lot of inflation out there. You know, for her health. Yep. Yep. Looking out for the kids. It's always about the kids. All right, you guys. Well, anyway, have a great Halloween. We will be back tomorrow, uh, probably with a candy hangover from the dad tax. 
So have a great evening and uh, don't miss another episode of the show. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. So as always, download and subscribe at, well, no, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful night. Download and subscribe. What, why, I'm forgetting our sign off. Uh, knowyourriskradio.com. Yeah, there you go. Jeez, too, too, many, too many data points in my head. Anyway, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.